Father in heaven, thank you for all that you do for us and your caring. Thank you that uh, you're not dependent on computers. And thank you that you can help us with this technology to be able to um, have a tool to learn with. Just pray that you'll bless us today and help this technology to work so that we can communicate. If it doesn't, help us to communicate anyway and to be able to uh, identify a way to serve you better as elders and leaders in our churches. So we give this time to you. Thank you for hearing our prayer and for your caring for us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, what I'd like to uh, talk to you a little bit today, we're going to deal with the area of uh, nurturing in your church. And as I mentioned to you yesterday, uh, nurture uh, comes in many different forms um, in the, uh, the work that you do with your church. And, and uh, um, I don't think I put it quite that way yesterday, but one of those forms of nurture is visitation. But there are, another, there are other ways that we nurture our members. There are other ways that we care about the needs of our church members and express that. Not only do you have a list of duties to do that we talked about yesterday um, as being an elder, but there uh, are some basic things that are critical to the future of your church. You, you might do a good job of organizing your church and having people up on the platform on Sabbath uh, morning and having a nice schedule outline. Everybody knows ahead of time who's doing what and, and all of those kinds of things. You may be doing all of that, but that's not going to advance the future of your church. That's going to maintain your church, and it may even do less than maintain your church. It may actually help your church to eventually die. And the, the, issue, the issue that's going on with our church is organization is vital to be able to keep your church moving. So even if your church is moving ahead, you have to be organized. Okay? You, can't not be, or, um, you cannot continue to move ahead and not be organized. But you can be organized and die. And the reason for that is because God doesn't want you just to be organized. He wants you to be organized for a reason. And you are leaders of the church. The church is a vital, growing organism. It's supposed to be. And if it's not functioning at the capacity that God gave it uh, to, to exist for, it's, and not living up to its reason for being, it is going to die. It's just a reality. So organization is good. But if that's all that's happening and all that you are doing as an elder, if you happen to be the elder and that's all that you're accomplishing, you are going to die. And this is what I'm seeing. I told the deacons and deaconesses this yesterday. I didn't tell it to you. But we're looking at over our churches. My wife gets around and visits churches as much or in some cases almost more than I do. And as she visits those churches, she comes back and says, tells me, and, you know, if she's been to your church, don't panic. (laughs) (laughs) But she goes to the churches and she sees and she she can see that there's like five or ten adults attending that church. Or, uh, and no kids, and, and, and there's just no life in that church, and slowly the church is evaporating. And in a couple of cases, she said, you know, one or two people in that church dies, it's done. And I'm tell, I, you may know a church that I'm talking about. It could even be yours. That's because that's not what we're all about, is maintaining churches. I don't know if you happen to hear... Uh, Elder DeVasia this morning, but he talked about the, uh, uh, the experience, or I should say the, 
the quotation from one of our early church leaders that was quoted in a newspaper talking about the fact that we don't hover over our churches or we don't have pastors that are uh, assigned as permanents in our churches. And he says, I hope we never will. Uh, unfortunately, hope is not enough because the truth is in North America, that's exactly what we have in most cases. And that means that something needs to be happening. So what I really want to share with you today is the fact that uh, that there are some things that you can do to especially be nurturing your church and developing your church. Now, I want you to understand something. Nurture is usually thought of what we do to help to strengthen the members and keep them going strong. But true nurture is not just coddling them and holding their hands. Some members think that nurture that they need is when somebody comes and visits them and every time that they, you know, stub their toe, that you need to come over and pray with them over their toe. And, and any time they need you day or night for that toe, you know, that hurting toe, you need to be there. You understand what I mean by what I'm saying, right? You get my point. The times when people are hurting and they need to be there, maybe 2 o'clock in the morning, and they need you there. I got a phone call from a, uh, a family, and, and, you know, the first words out of the lady's mouth was, she's dead. Well, you know what? That's not a hurting toe, right? But when somebody keeps having something that they're complaining about or they just feel like they need you and they feel like, you know, nobody cares about me. The pastor should visit me once a week if he really cared and all that kind of stuff. That's the hurting toe syndrome. That's what I call it. Um, and that's not what is needed. That's not the kind of nurture. That's, that's enabling that, and that, that's hurting people. That's allowing them to continue on in this kind of an experience and getting nowhere. That's the kind of experience that Ellen White talked about when a lady complained about what was going on in her life and Ellen White told her, said, you need to quit looking at the thorns and start looking at the roses. And, and one of the things that you need to do in order to be do, doing that is to get out there and help people. Well, that's what we need to be doing with, with what we do. So what I'm going to share with you today is going to have two parts. I'm going to share with you about some basics of visitation and the second thing I'm going to talk to you about is I'm going to talk to you about the um, soul winning in your church and the responsibility that you have in, in, in carrying that out. I consider these two things to be essential basic ingredients of being an elder in your church. The things that I talked about yesterday was an overview. Several of those things that we talked about are items that, that you, uh, um, are items that you some already knew about, you know, the organization, developing the schedule and, and some of those kinds of things and having a board of elders. I didn't talk about that too much. How many of you are, do have a meeting with your pastors, um, say once a month or at least every other month? How many of you are doing that? Okay. If you're not doing it, you need to ask for it. Okay. That's what should be happening in your church. You and your uh, fellow elders need to meet together. If you have a district of two or three churches and it's more convenient for you all to get together at one time so that that can happen and the geography really allows that to happen, then go ahead and do that. That's fine. 
but you do need to meet periodically because you need to be praying together. You need to be planning together. You need to be um, uh, figuring out where you're headed as a church and, and what it's going to take to do that. And don't just all the time be dealing with the problems in the church. If all you're going to do is deal with the problems, you will spin your wheels forever. So part of what you have to be doing is planning and looking ahead and figuring out what steps you need to take and so on. All right, I'm getting to preaching, and let's go back to this. <laughs> Did you notice that it's still been on the screen and hasn't gotten mad? Love and unity are certainly Christian requirements. As uh, John says in 1 John 3, 14, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. And when you look at the church at the time of Pentecost, the church at Pentecost was a united church. That's why the Spirit of God could be poured out upon them. Until they reached that point of unity, the Spirit of God would do them no good. Because it's not the purpose of the Spirit of God to be poured out in the latter rain, early rain, latter rain, just for the sake of uniting us. Now, the Spirit of God has to unite us, so don't misunderstand me Mia, with that. But if we're expecting the, you, the uh, latter rain to unite us, the Lord wants to unite us before that latter rain experience happens. But on the day of Pentecost, had, when it had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. The unity of seeking the Holy Spirit was the opportunity for the Spirit to be poured out upon them. Does that make sense? So nurture is seeking to draw your church members together into unity. Christian love produces unity despite differences. The fire of Christian love dissolves the dross of class hatreds, racial clashes, social ruptures, and minor theological controversies. We live in a, in a world that is suffering from fractures and divisions over race, over language, over I don't care what it is. Anything that can be uh, a divisive, the devil is using to continue that division. But the truth is, in our churches, it shouldn't be there. Amen? It should not be in our churches. And if it exists, then part of our work is to ask God to help us to overcome that problem and to be able to help people to grow beyond that situation in their lives. So as you are thinking about these kinds of challenges, and by the way, this one here is growing, right? The theological issues are getting serious among us. Not that they haven't been, but they're becoming more um, broad and widespread. And I know that in several churches in, in the western side of the state, uh, the churches have had to disfellowship members over one particular theological issue. And unfortunately, these people, and some of them are personal friends of mine that I've really appreciated, but they got so absorbed in their own theology that, you know, I, I say to them, when did you go out and win souls with the zealousness of this false theology you're teaching? They didn't win any souls, but now they're going out and they, they even last year came to camp meeting trying to convince people of the, of the theological, theological truth they thought they had. It's a sad day that we live in, but it's not a surprising issue. We knew it was coming and we knew it would be here with force, and it is. Well, 
This is the kind of thing that you are seeking to address and prevent through the act of caring about your members. So when it comes to visitation, these are the kinds of things you're watching for. These are the kinds of opportunities you have in order to be able to address that. I mean, you may say, well, I'm no theologian. I can't. I don't know how to handle all of that. No, but you can learn, and you have a pastor who can help you when you encounter it, and you don't have to have all the answers. God has the answers, and He promises to be able to lead you and to be able to direct you and to show you um, how to resolve those issues as a team. And if you run into a problem, just because you've run into a problem there and you didn't have the instant answer that solved the problem, that isn't what God expects of you. It's not what He's asking of you. He's asking you to be, number one, aware of the problem. Number two, then, as a team, developing a strategy to be able to solve that problem whatever that problem may happen to be. So let's talk about visitation in, uh, in, in some basic ingredients. First of all, the visitation of members can be vital to their spiritual nurture and growth, but not if you don't know what you're doing when you go to visit them, okay? You don't develop people's spiritual experience and help them to grow in their relationship with Jesus by coming over and talking to them about that new car they just got and how wonderful that new car is and having a word of prayer with them and then leaving. What you did in that is you just simply connected with them, but you did nothing for their spiritual growth. You are the elder of the church. You are the, the spiritual leader of the church. And, and you may do that once, but you should never do it only that again. I didn't say you can never talk about anybody's car, but that's, the car isn't going to save them, is it? And your issue is not to come to the Lord one day and say, well, Lord, I went to their house and I talked to them about their new car. That should have saved them. Really? So you know what you need to have is some kind of an idea of what you're trying to accomplish here, and we're coming to that. This kind of ministry is one of the most effective ways elders can serve their people. And that's why the devil fights you so hard to keep you from doing it. He'll come up with every excuse in the book that he can give you to keep you from doing that work. You don't have time. You don't have the skill. You don't, uh, people don't want to see you, etc., etc., etc. He'll give you every reason you want. But the devil knows that if you start going and meeting with your people and praying with your people and ministering to your people and don't rely on the pastor to do that in your place, that you will see that God will be able to work there. And the devil does not want that to happen. Home visitation is important for your people because they need to know that you care enough to come and meet with them and visit them. But some visitation can happen in other places. I told the deacons and deaconesses, we talked a little bit about this yesterday, and we hadn't talked about it here, but I told them of an experience I had just a, a few weeks ago in my evangelistic meeting. I made an appointment with an individual and said I wanted to meet with him and connect with him, and I really had planned to, to meet him um, at his home, and, and he didn't tell me at first that he didn't want to do that. But I told him that I had an appointment at a hospital first, and needed to make that hospital visit, and then I would connect with him, and I told him where the hospital was. 
And, and so he called me when he thought I was done with that, uh, that appointment, and I, and I was. And he said, well, I'm out here in such and such a place. Can we meet? And I thought to myself, oh, that's kind of interesting, but no, I don't want to meet him at a restaurant because that's not a good place for the conversation I need to have with him. And so I said, well, why don't we meet at the church? I mean, that's kind of a good neutral place for us to be able to connect, and, and I'll meet you there. Now, this is an interest, but still I needed to meet with him. So we'd work that out, and I met, met him at the church, and while I'm there, this is what he tells me. He tells me that a couple, two or three years ago, he had gotten into starting to work on his house, but he had a financial setback, lost his job, and couldn't continue to do the repairs on his house. His house was all torn apart and all that, and he, he just wasn't comfortable with me coming to his home. Now, he, didn't, he, he just kind of worked that into the conversation and all of that. You see, there are times when you can't go to people's homes because there are issues that they may be dealing with or, or uh, uh, there may be people there they're not comfortable with you connecting with, especially initially or whatever. Sometimes you do need to connect with those people and you don't want to be pushed away if that's the only reason, but there are times when you just have to sort through, the, sort through that. Visiting with people at the church, even visiting after church on Sabbath, is not a bad way to be able to connect with people. But you want to be deliberate in what you're doing and you want to have a plan. If, you, if your visitation with your church members and, and with the people that you're trying to connect with is only on Sabbath afternoon and right after potluck and you have that conversation about the car, you really haven't done anything, any, you know, really accomplished what you're trying to accomplish except some kind of a, of a connection with them so they at least know that you are friendly. But you need to be focusing on more than that in your visitation. So in your planning, you should, it should be a part of your board of elders or church board's agenda. If you don't have a board of elders meeting, then do it at your church board meeting and talk about how you're going to go about doing that. But it's really the responsibility of the elders and the deacons and the deaconesses. What did I just say? And the deacons and the deaconesses. You should be coordinating a visitation plan with the deacons and deaconesses. They should be part of your visitation, overall visitation strategy. They could even go with you on those visits. Deacons, and by the way, I, I don't want to take the time to get into all the men, women type thing, but I'm just going to simply tell you that unless it's your wife going with you, you wouldn't take a deaconess and get in your car with her and unless she's your wife and drive off to a, an appointment. You can meet her there if that's what needs to happen. I've done that as a pastor. I've met them there and we go up to the door together. That's all right, but don't start doing the driving around part and that kind of thing. All right, you just get my message on that and, and I won't go any farther than that. But you should be planning it and developing it in your board of elders meetings and figuring out how you're going to meet the, all the church members at least once a year. And there's some that you know that you're going to need to be visited more than that. Your shut-ins are going to be are need to be visited and need to be visited more than just once a year. 
They need to have that connection with you. Maybe it's through the communion, taking communion around on communion Sabbath. How many of you have taken communion around to your shut-in members on Sabbath after communion service takes place? That should be what you're doing. If that's not happening in your church, you need to mention it to your pastor and figure out how that you're going to be accomplishing that. That's part of your visitation strategy and connecting with, the, with, the, uh, with your, uh, your individuals. An elder assisted by a deacon or deaconess could be in charge of a parish zone. Do you understand what I mean by that? How you organize is really up to you and what works best for you. But one of the strategies that's worked effectively for many people in organizing this kind of a visitation plan is to uh, geographically separate your, your uh, parishioners and your church members where they're at and that becomes your parish zone. But you may, you may decide to do it by people that you know versus people that are in your geographical area. Or you may choose to do it alphabetically. I don't really care how you go about doing that. Whatever works for you and seems the best process to be able to, to accomplish that task, use that, and, and, but some sort of organization that allows you to break it up. If there are three elders and you've got 100 members, that gives you about 33 and a half members apiece. <laughs> All right? And usually, if you've got 100 members to, to divide up, you're talking about family units, so it's even less than that. And if, you, uh, if you're talking about trying to visit them once a year, and you've got 20 people or family units in your group, 20 into a year is not that much. Am I right? It's every other week, roughly, or, or you know, maybe even a little more than that. And uh, that means like one a week or one every other week to be able to visit all your members in a year. Factor in some of the people that uh, you need to be connecting with a little bit more frequently than that, maybe your shut-ins or some of those kinds of situations, and you might have to add, say, all right, I'm going to give one night a week. By the way, if you're wondering how much time you should be spending, I'd say that the average elder should be spending approximately four hours a week committed to the task of being an elder. And that's just a rough direction. We're all busy people and, and figuring that all in. Some of that, you know, one hour visit in there and then three hours for something else. Um, other work that you need to be doing as well. And now I'm talking about the work of being an elder. I'm not talking about the work of being a disciple. I'm going to talk about that in a couple of moments. I'm talking about the work of being an elder. All right, Brent, you got a question? Coming to that, really good question. You should really make appointments for people. There was a day and age that is not here anymore, it is long since gone, when pastors would drop in on their parishioners and the church members are so excited the pastor dropped in and visited us. Today it probably gets on Facebook and says, can you believe that pastor dropped in on me? I mean, that's... <laughs> And that, if they happen to be home, or you happen to be home, or the members happen to be home. There's so many times when I've knocked on doors and nobody's home. I, I don't think anybody actually lives there anymore. They only sleep there. 
You know, they get home at 10 or 11 o'clock at night, they go to bed and they get up at four o'clock to go to work. And that really is the extent of it. And you just don't catch them at home unless you make an appointment to be able to do that. There are other reasons for making appointments. You, you know, uh, if you're busy like I am, your house isn't always as neat and you know, pristine as you'd like it to be. And if somebody just happens to come home, I mean, knock on your door and show up and you're not quite ready for them, you know, it's not as, well, you wish they had made an appointment first. <laughs> okay, that's, I guess that's a simple way to say that. So let's talk about visitation format. And as we're talking about this visitation format, we'll talk a little bit about what do you, what do, you do there and how long do you stay? I would say this, first of all, know why you're going to be there and what it is you're going to try to accomplish, okay? Prepare yourself for this visit. You may want to have a strategy as elders, for example. You may say, look, we've never done any visitation in our church, but let's use this as an opportunity to, to uh, develop a spiritual journey for all of our church members. If you've never done it before and you never had this kind of a strategy, I'll give you one. Get the book Steps to Christ and say, let's take the book Steps to Christ to all of our church members as we go around in our visitation this quarter. And I like the quarterly plan because most of us can handle that quarterly plan and getting around to our, and to our members. And let's take the book Steps to Christ and let's encourage them during this quarter as we go around and say, we're going around, and even if it's later in the quarter, that's fine. But our goal this quarter is to encourage you to, to renew your relationship with Jesus. And, and this book Steps to Christ is going to be a wonderful tool to be able to help you. And you can take it and, and, uh, and say, let's take a couple moments to look at the book Steps to Christ and be reminded of some of the things that are in that, uh, that uh, chapter, I mean, in that book. And go, you just look at the index, for example, look at some of those chapter headings and, and some of the things they'll be talking about and tell them what the book Steps to Christ has done for you. Of course, what does that mean? That means you've read it and it's done something for you, all right? So you're sharing your experience with them and you're encouraging them in that experience. By the way, you don't have to give them a book if they already have their own. They may have a marked copy that they haven't taken off the shelf in 30 years. If they're older members who've been there for a long time, if they're new members who've never had the book, uh, and all this is a great opportunity to be able to connect with them. If you're using the discipleship plan, they should have it. So at any rate, my point is, you see what I'm getting at? You've got a plan and a strategy for what you're going to do there. You do want to go there and become a friend. There needs to be some getting acquainted because most of the time, you know, we only meet our members in a Sabbath school class. And if they happen to be in your Sabbath school class, you've gotten somewhat acquainted with them. But if they're in the other Sabbath school class there, or, or they're leading the kids department and you're leading an adults department, you probably know very little about those members. If you haven't been to their home, they haven't been in your home. And, and there are lots of members like that that don't have any real acquaintance. You want to find out about them. How many kids do they have? How, um, you know, where did they grow up? 
what can you find out about their background? What kind of work do they do? Uh, do they enjoy that work? Uh, you know, we don't see you very often at church. We see you about once a month. And, and well, I'm traveling for my work, and, you know, I'm, uh, maybe I'm a truck driver. And, uh, you know, I get to, I have to spend uh, three out of four Sabbaths a month on the road. I'm not driving during that time. Or they might say, I am driving during that time, but that's part of your learning experience and part of what you're finding out is going on in their lives and where their spiritual journey is taking them, etc. So you want to be their friend. But this is not your primary reason for being there. That is only a stepping stone because you are better able to lead someone who's a friend than someone who's just a, a, a name or an acquaintance. You want to read the Bible with them. Have, a, have as part of your strategy, if you're taking the book Steps to Christ, for example, or whatever other strategy you have as you're going around and visiting, it may be that one of your visits along the way is a stewardship visit. Do not make stewardship visits dealing with money your first visit to people. I don't care how desperate your financial situation is your church is in. Do not make that your first visit because you will only confirm what they already believe. And that is the only thing that we in the churches, leaders, care about is the money in the church. And that's not true, I hope. And, and you don't want to confirm that belief, even if it's the wrong one, by, by inadvertently doing that in the way that you go and visit with them. So in your strategy, include the Bible. Have a Bible verse to leave with them, a promise that will encourage them. There are books of promises. You can get one of the ABC and then you could have got that. I mean, it's right at your fingertips and you have that. I have little uh, tools that I've showed to pastors and I've used when I was pastoring and I kept in my Bible a list of promises when I went to the hospital to visit or when I went to people's homes to visit. That kind of a tool that you can have. Just something that may be been meaningful from your personal devotions that morning or whatever. But share that with them and, and uh, have a Bible verse with them. Ask. Ask what? Yeah. Ask how it is with them and Jesus. Now this is getting personal. And this may not feel comfortable the first time or so that you do it. But trust me, this is when you really become their friend. And as you are getting acquainted, better acquainted with them, and you know, don't push it, and don't be, um, be harsh, just say, how is it with you and Jesus? Are, you, are things going well? You'll find that people will say, you know what, it's getting better every day in my relationship with Jesus. You'll also find that some people will say, man, I am struggling so much with my relationship with Jesus. So what does that tell you? That tells you you have some work to do in that home. And that once a quarter visit may be once a week now because you've got a spiritual need that you've identified in that congregation. And you might want to go to the pastor, you know, later that week and say, Pastor, you know, one of my visits this week, uh, this week was at uh, John Smith's house. And as I was visiting with John, I found out that uh, he's really struggling in his relationship with Jesus. What do I do to try to help him? If this is your first time encountering that, ask the pastor for help in dealing with that. 
and, and have a strategy. Perhaps you'll go back and you'll meet as elders and review the at your elders meeting. Maybe it's a week before your elders meeting that you have that visit with him. And so you uh, come back and say, you know, I need some help here in a strategy. Um, I've already done this and the book Steps to Christ is a great place to start if that John has never read it. And, and that's a tool that you can always kind of keep in your so-called back pocket or in your car or whatever. So you, you use that as a tool. But because you asked and got an answer, this is your opportunity and it's not one to be wasted. If the opportunity is there that you want to follow through with that opportunity, you may not get that opportunity again. And you need to take advantage of that. So apply, answer that, ask the, answer the question or the issue that arises in an appropriate way. If they, they say, you know, things are going really good, then ask them to, to uh, tell you a little bit about how they have grown in their relationship with Jesus and how that's going. You might even say, you know, wouldn't that be wonderful if you could share that testimony uh, a couple Sabbaths from now? You know, we're going we're gonna to have a testimony Sabbath at, at church. And I think it would be great for people to hear what God has done for you in your life. You see what you're doing with that? You're interacting into the church. You're bringing all this experience in. Can you see the nurture that begins to develop in this kind of an experience as you begin to work with your church members this way? All of a sudden, people start getting better acquainted with each other and have opportunity to, to share their personal experience with Christ, and that begins to help the church to develop and grow, and the individuals as well. Pray with them, and after you pray, the next thing that you do is what? Leave. That's exactly right. Have a prayer with them and then leave. Because you want to leave them with that prayer and that spiritual um, thought in their minds as, you, as you're going. And that's the time to leave. Now, it can be tricky at times to leave, especially if these are good friends and you've had a good visit. They may want to kind of linger with you as you go out to the car and all. And you can't be just forceful. Look, I got to leave. They, you know, Elder Snaiman said I got to leave, right? You, know, you got to figure out how to make that, that all work. But basically what you're doing is you're moving on from there and you're, you're leaving them with that, that spiritual experience as you get done. And what do you write? What do you write? Thank you. What? Okay. There's a couple of things that you can do. I like the idea of writing to people and telling them you really appreciated that interaction with them. That's a great thing to do. That's one of the things that you can do. Another thing is you need to write down brief notes on that experience for your own purpose of uh, keeping track of what you've done. If you've got 20 people to keep track of, those things will start to blend in time unless there's some kind of an unusual event that really you know, registers in your brain. You will forget all those details and, and you'll want to write those things down. You should be keeping track of that. Be careful with those details. Okay, because when you start writing down personal details of individuals' lives, you don't want the, you know, and we live in the age of HIPAA and all that kind of stuff, and you know what HIPAA is, right? You all have to sign it when you go to the doctor, you know, that they're not going to give your records out to somebody and all that kind of thing. So be careful with that, but you should have some basic notes of what, the, what you encountered there, at least basic things like, like uh, you visited them and, and you got acquainted uh, with the family and you found out that there were five kids, not four, and, and <laughs> because the, the oldest one was uh, off in the military and you'd never met them and 
you know, that kind of stuff. I mean, just whatever it is that it takes there and what you happen to learn in that visit that's pertinent to being able to keep that information going. It's also valuable in an appropriate setting. You can use a computer to be able to do this. If your church has a way of doing that and your pastor has a way of doing that, there are tools that make that possible in keeping track of those things. But this gives you a basic idea of visitation. All right, how long? You've got to have some flexibility because if you get in there and you felt that you wanted to be there for a 20-minute visit and, and these people just kept you there for an hour, you have to use good judgment on that. But here's what I want to suggest to you. A basic rule of thumb for me is that your first visit to them should be shorter than longer. All right? Because you always want people to think they can get rid of you. Do you understand what I'm saying? Um, I didn't get to hear his sermon last night, but I understand Elder Jones said that if you preach a short sermon, you're more likely to get invited back. <laughs> okay, well the same rule uh, applies in your visitation with people. If, if they know that they can trust you to guard their time and not be invasive of their space, there's some people who will be disappointed if you leave, but you know what, I'd rather be, have them disappointed that you left and, and, uh, in a less time than they expected than, man, I just couldn't get that person out of my house. And, and I've had people in my home like that. You know, they just can't seem to, they're more needy and they just can't get it figured out that this is not a good idea for, for, uh, for them to be here for three hours. But it's not a good idea for you to be there for three hours either unless there's something really unusual about that situation. So my suggestion is 20 to 30 minutes on the first visit, still making it a spiritual event and targeting. In other words, the first time you've gone to that person's home and work that through with them. And then the next time, 30 to minutes to an hour, because this is the time now when you're gonna have a chance to really ask a little bit more about this uh, their experience with Jesus and how that's going. I might not delve too hard in that in the first visit, but I want to set, you're, you're going to start to pick up certain signals of what's going on in their lives. And if it's appropriate on that first visit, you can delve a little bit into that. And, uh, you, you know, part of the way that you might be able to do that is say, how did you become a Seventh-day Adventist? How, what is your experience with that? And that's, a, that's not as threatening as asking them their how it is with Jesus. You know, that how it is with Jesus, for me, this is my style, my way of working with people, I want to have become acquainted with them before I start getting too deep into their, into their relationship because, uh, with Jesus because them sharing with me from their heart is based upon their trust of me. Does that make sense? And so I want to be able to make sure that I do that and I accomplish that by working gently and, and, and getting acquainted with them. But I don't want to put this off too far. It shouldn't be any, la any more, later than the second time I visit them. You with me? Because you don't, that's why you're there. You're not there to talk about their car. You're not there to talk about their business. You're not there to talk about that kind of thing, all right? So 20 to 30 minutes on the first visit, 30 minutes to an hour after that, and then as life go, continues on, that's probably the same kind of thing that you're going to do over a period of time. You'll find that an hour will go by just like that. So, you know, don't, don't think it won't. It'll, it'll go by quickly if you're having good visits with people. And most of your visits are going to be very positive, and people are going to be in shock that you're actually visiting. That's what they're going to do. 
I don't want you to assume that you've had a 30-year relationship with these people, but it's your first visit. You have to, you know, whatever. You under, so that, that's a good point. All right, let's keep going here. The clock keeps uh, moving on me. One of the things that people are scared about when it comes to visiting on an elder's level or a deacon's and deaconess's level is the issue of counseling. And because, you know, the truth is people in our world today have struggles. You have your own struggles. But some people are having really tough time in their lives. And, and they, they are, they're, they're challenged. They don't know how to, to cope with life and to deal with all of that. And they're looking at pastors and they're looking at elders as individuals who can help with them with that process. One of the reasons the church exists is to help troubled people. It's a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. It's a place where people can grow and develop a relationship with Jesus as well as with church members and finding support and strength through the difficult times. All caring people counsel and encourage others. If you care about people, you're counseling people. When somebody, and now I'm kind of breaking off there, somebody comes to you and says, what's the best kind of car to buy? I don't, you know, where can I get a good car? And you turn around and say, look, I got my last car from this dealer over here and, and they've treated me really well and the price was right and the service is great. You're counseling them. Am I right? So we counsel people in ways we don't even think about. But we also need to recognize that in some cases, all people need is a listening ear. Not everybody needs a trained therapist to help them through a difficult time. You don't have to be a trained therapist to comfort someone who's just lost a child in death or a parent or something like that. You can do this by your faithfulness and your caring and your kindness and being around them at that time. But elders also are susceptible, and I want you to be aware of the challenges that you could experience in the fact that uh, you're trying to be kind. It's easy for you to walk into areas that you are not really trained for, and you need to know how to deal with that and what to do and what not to do. First of all, don't assume that you are responsible for everything and that you've got to be able to know how to handle everything. It doesn't work that way. Don't let your ego, like I'm going to solve everybody's problem, be the answer to what you're going to try to do. Instead, recognize that there are some things that you can do and there's some things that you can't. So some guidelines for you, here they are. Number one, learn to listen. Learn to listen. As you are listening, listening, good listeners are not trying to think of something all the time to say to that person or answer their question or to come up with a solution. They're actually listening to that person. Because many times what a person needs, the answer and the solution is in what you are hearing because it helps you to understand what it is that person is actually experiencing and dealing with. If there are need for some solutions, then concentrate on helping with those solutions, not just simply talking about the problem. Sometimes people will come to you and say, you know, I'm really struggling financially and I don't know what to do about that. So what are you going to say? Well, let's pray about it. Well, you know, be careful. That's not always the solution that's needed. You know, James said, 
that if a person comes to you and you know needs clothes and you say, well, let me pray for you, <laughs> hang on here, what happened? They needed clothes, you know? So do you have a solution to that kind of a problem? I didn't say by throwing money at that problem. That's not necessarily what I mean by that. But if they literally need food or clothing, that's what you have deacons and deaconesses and community services for. And if you've got a good stressed, uh, um, structure in your church that actually is working with deacons and deaconesses and all, you can share that load and, and work with that. If you come across someone you know is struggling financially and you find out that they don't even have a meal for the next day, you should have some kind of a plan for that. Because you're going to find people who have those kinds of difficulties have a direction to go there and have some idea. If you don't know what it is, say, look, you know, I'm going to work on this, I'm going to pray about it, and I'm going to come back to you next week with a strategy to, to be able to deal with that. If it's financial difficulties, they may need counseling, not from you, but from somebody else. If, it's, if they are having an emotional difficulty or whatever, they may need professional counseling. And there are tools out there available. On the Michigan Conference website, there is a document my wife has prepared with a list of Christian counselors in Michigan, and all the way from the UP down to Detroit, and in between. And uh, they're not all Adventists, but they are Christian counselors, and, uh, and you know, there's no guarantees in any of that, but she's been able to pull that list together, and in most cases, I believe she's actually talked to some of these non-Adventist Christian counselors, and those are opportunities for you so that you can refer people. That's why she's provided it for pastors and elders and deacons and deaconesses that need resources to be able to direct people to. Merv? Our church has a fund just for that purpose. Yep. And that's what you want to know. See, you need to know that information that so that if you encounter that, you know that your church has a fund and that gives you a tool and a resource to be able to work with. Now, I'd be careful. You should have a plan with that fund that you aren't just the person who starts giving that money out. You say, okay, you know what? I'll see what we can do and if there's a solution to be able to help. I wouldn't even tell them we have a fund. I wouldn't do any of that kind of thing. But then I'd go back to the board of elders or I'd call the pastor if it's more urgent than that and I'd say, I think there's a need here. Maybe we ought to address that. And the pastor's your strategy may be, well, I got to clear it through the board or I got to clear it through the finance committee or whatever. And then you apply that. You see, you have a plan in place. Okay, Merlin? That, uh, that fund, I'm uh, the one that's mostly responsible for that. Mm -hmm. So, good. Okay. So, if you you know, if a person has the authority to be able to manage that fund and do it, and you can work with that accordingly, but make sure you know what the plan is for your church. Right, so these notes that you're going over there, are they following these um, it's You've got some of these basic principles in there and, and not necessarily every detail, but there's some of that information in there. If you want, I can print this off and, and provide it to you. I know, I am. I am. That's a good idea. I'll... I'll print it out for you, and then you can have it as a bank. Next time, pass it out. Well, you know what? I, sometimes people hate these kinds of notes. I don't. <laughs> yeah, I know, but some people do. They hate these kinds of things, and so I'm hesitant always to print them out and do that kind of thing, but I'll provide them for you. I got my tools. I'll, pro I'll, I'll provide them for you. I'll give them to you tomorrow.
Okay. It's in chapter 8 on page 130 and 131. Great thing you're talking about. Okay. And by the way, this material that I'm using actually does come out of the handbook, yeah. uh, which is how they prepared it. I'm just not sure about every detail. Sure That's the only thing. Some of, them I, some of them are my notes that I put in, and the section that we're going to do before we get done is not in the handbook. Okay, so I want you to know that. This part of it is, but the next part that I'm going to do here in just a moment is not. So pray with them and know when to refer. Listen to me very carefully. When it comes to the counseling type of issues, and you're working with church members and your interaction with them, one to three times, how many? One to three times. If it's going to take any more than that, you're out of your league. Okay? Unless you are a trained counselor and you want to get into that whole issue and deal with that, that situation in that professional setting, one to, that's what we tell pastors. One to three visits is all that you can really do. If it's going to take more than that, then you're out of your league and you need to refer it. And, uh, and, and work with that. Okay, let's talk about hospital visitation. Again, I'm watching that clock and I've got about 20 minutes. Um, the visitation format in going to the hospital is about the same, but the timing is different. And when you go to visit people in the hospital, why are they there? They're sick? Oh, I thought they were on vacation. They're sick. When you're sick, do you feel good? That's right. You go there for a short period of time to extend to them spiritual support and encouragement, but you're not their doctor and you're not there to preach to them. They do not feel well. They may not want you there. And if they really don't want you there, don't go. Because I have had people who literally don't want anybody there, and sometimes you can handle that over the phone with them in order to be able to minister to them. But in most cases, they want you to come and visit, but they will feel better about your visit if they know that you're going to come in and go out quickly, and they're not going to you know, have to be nauseated and want to throw up with that. A little chit-chat's okay, but I'm talking about one or two minutes. You know, the most com uncomfortable time in a hospital is, how are you doing? I mean, that's our natural question that we ask, and it's the right question to ask. But you want to be asking it out of compassion and caring. Literally, how are you doing? I feel terrible. I'm doing terrible. The doctor says I've got to have surgery, or I'm getting, you know, I'm just recovering from that surgery or whatever. Like, how are you doing? Um, you know, you might even have a, sometimes they are recovering from something and they're there and they're, they're actually doing better and they feel a little perkier and they a smile on their face, a little chit chat like how's the family um, and that kind of thing's fine. But we're talking one or two minutes in that chit chat because you, again, you're there on a spiritual basis. You're there to minister to them and to care about them. Have a Bible verse, a Bible promise, something that you want to share with them. And, uh, and, you know, some of the Psalms are especially good for that kind of uh, thing. But if there's a special need there, you might have a special promise uh, uh, there for them. And again, ask. Ask if there's something that they need from you. Um, and how is their courage in the Lord? Are they trusting in the Lord through this battle? Are they discouraged? Uh, how is it going? So you ask and then pray. And you need to leave in about 10 minutes. And if they're really sick, less than that. I went to visit a person in the hospital, and 
and, uh, and you know, I'd been taught this in the seminary and undergrad and, and all of that. And I visited a fin- an individual in the hospital, and he was really sick. He had cancer. It was a challenging cancer, and, and his family was worried about him, and his friends were worried about him. And I went to visit him in the hospital. It's really amazing because I see him driving, his, driving one of the tractors here with a stuff even today. I'm talking like 30 years later. And, but I, I still remember the visit because one of the church members, I happened to go in there and the church members were lingering around there. And they were especially close friends and that made a difference to it, but they were upset with me later because I left so quickly. And I don't think I said it to them, but I really felt like saying it to them. Maybe you shouldn't have been there that long too. You know, he's sick. <laughs> And uh, some church members just don't get that, and they equate your uh, length of time with how much you care about them. That's ridiculous. Um, and, but at any rate, that's, that's it. The truth is, we're such good friends today, and, uh, and the reasons for that. But anyway, so, and then keep notes of your visit, and track the fact you've done that, report it to your borough veritable elders, and work on that level. All right. That's the visitation. I can't give you everything on visitation. I've given you some basics of that, the things that apply in that kind of circumstance. Um, we're going to talk about in the next few days, if you're coming to the advanced part of this, because this is the basic. If you come to the advanced part of this, we'll talk about some other areas of doing funerals and some of those kinds of things, a little bit more on that. But today, there's one other basic I really want to stress with you. Your church is going to die if it's not growing. It may not die in your lifetime should time go last that long, and let's pray it's not. And the best way for you to ensure that this church is not still around in your lifetime is to do one of two things, nothing or something. If you do nothing, it'll die in your lifetime. If you do something, we may be in the kingdom of heaven and it will not be needed anymore in your lifetime, right? And so God wants us to help to build God's church. And that is the responsibility that we all have with this. And what God is trying to tell us we need to be doing. Yes, sir. The uh, series, Unlock Revelation, our church baptized three people. Amen. Praise the Lord. How many of you participated in Unlock Revelation? Yeah, terrific. Wonderful. And I know there's some wonderful stories out there, what God is doing, and that's, that's terrific. First thing I want to do, and I'm going to kind of race through this last section because the truth is I've still got about uh, 30 slides to go, (laughs) and I've done 13. So you do the math on that. But uh, this this part will go fairly, fairly quickly. First of all, I want you to know that elders are first disciples. I didn't talk to you about this yesterday. I did with the deacons and deaconesses. But before you can be an elder, you must first be a disciple. Before you can be a disciple, you must be a Christian. Before you can be a Christian, you need to have come face to face with Jesus, right? And encountered Him. So you are in a spiritual journey of your own. That you are leaders of a church. You're leaders of the Seventh-day Adventist church. And, it's, and we're going to look at in a moment that the Seventh-day Adventist church is a training center for Christian workers. That's what it is. And that's dependent on you and your leadership. So what is a disciple? Are you a disciple? So let's talk about for a moment what a disciple is. A disciple is a person who is a follower of Jesus, right? A disciple is a person who's committed to doing what Jesus has asked them to do. 
and Jesus is in control of their lives, their daily lives, their, their interactions with Him. They have a personal relationship with Him. They're growing in that relationship every day. Their devotional experience is rich and vibrant and consistent. Their experience is true that they're sharing that experience with other people as the opportunity comes. In some cases, they're making those opportunities. In other cases, those opportunities are, are uh, coming as God provides that opportunity and as they ask for those opportunities. They're disciples following the instructions that God has given. The question is, are you a disciple? If you are a disciple, can you be a leader and not be a disciple? You cannot be a leader of your church uh, Seventh-day Adventist Church and not be a disciple. If you're not a disciple, you're not worthy. That's not the word I want. You're not qualified to be a leader in your church because only disciples can be leaders in the church. Now, <laughs> um, yes. <laughs> okay, now listen. Be very careful with what I've said. I've said it the way I did to make a point. But my point and my reason for saying it the way I did is because we need to take this issue seriously. And that means if you, you say, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm not there yet. Okay, don't beat yourself up and go back and resign. Ask yourself what God wants you to do to be more of a disciple the way he's asked you to be. I mean, if you need to sign up and go to the class next door, not this time, you've got to finish this class first. <laughs> But if you need to sign up and go and join Emmanuel and learn how to be a, a soul-winning disciple and, and all of that, then do that. Figure that out. They've got strategies for busy people and being able to work that in your life where you don't have to take six months out of your schedule to do it. But if the Lord tells you to take six months out of your schedule, you better listen to Him because He's the one, especially if He says your first name and tells you to do it. So keep it, keep it in mind of what God is trying to be able to help you to do. You and I must be disciples if we're going to be leaders. Now here's the foundation for this. Many would be willing to work, says Ellen White in Christian Service, page 59. This is chapter 5. He said, many would be willing to work if they were taught how to begin. Every church should be a training what? For Christian workers. Its members should be taught how to give Bible readings, how to conduct te and teach Sabbath school classes, how best to uh, help the poor and care for the sick, how to work for the unconverted, etc., etc., etc. A school has teachers. Would you send your child to a school that the teachers did not know what they were doing and what they were teaching? I don't think you would. You wouldn't ask your teacher, your student, to learn from a teacher mathematics when the teacher has never ever studied it themselves and doesn't know how to apply that themselves. And that whatever other subject, you would do the same. If the church is a training school for Christian workers, there has to be somebody that is the teachers in that school. Who are the appointed teachers in that school? The correct answer is elders or we are, <laughs> all right? We the elders are the teachers in that school. That means if we're going to teach, we have to have an experience to share and to teach. That's what God is asking us to do. That's what God is expecting of us. That's what the church needs to be. It's not just the pastor, but you are the teachers. He's the principal, you are the teachers, and the members are the students, if I can put it in that kind of a scenario. 
Every member is a disciple. That is one of the basic principles of what we call training center churches. Every church should be a training center or training school for Christian workers. And every member should be a disciple. So that is part of your goal as you are visiting church members, you're not only helping them in their spiritual relationship with Jesus, but you're helping them to develop in that experience of being a disciple. A disciple is not only growing in their relationship with Jesus, but they're sharing their relationship that they have with Jesus with others. That is what a disciple is all about. Every member is a disciple. Every You should be looking as elders for strategies that will help you to involve every single member in your church in some aspect of growing your church and soul winning and experience in your church. The church is a training center for disciples. All new disciples must be trained, all new members must be trained as disciples. Hence the reason for this experience in your church. If you're going around, maybe your strategy would be as you're visiting to make sure that every church member has this book and they're having this experience. In this very classroom, I've taught classes of people who, uh, when, when we first talking about really being serious about discipleship, I started out with the only material that, that I happened to have available, some materials that were developed back in the 70s. And I, I shared it with the members here. And the members who went through that class said, this shouldn't be just for new members. I wish I'd had this when I became a member. And they'd been members for 30 years. Why don't we share this with the church? There are churches that are doing this for prayer meeting now and, and all that kind of an experience. Or, so you want all of your members to become disciples and use the materials that are available for that and all your new members as well. You are the leaders of the church. Your church has a mission. And the fulfillment of that mission is your responsibility. Whose? Ours. It's your responsibility. You are the ones who are called upon to carry out that responsibility. Evangelism is the lifeblood of the church. The opportunity for your church to grow is dependent upon what you are doing in your church. And evangelism is the opportunity for your church to grow. If you're not involved in it, I'm not talking just about unlock revelation. I'm talking about every phase of evangelism. And we've been talking about the phases and our title here is Grow Michigan and up there on that banner are all five of those phases. That's evangelism. Every stretch of the way from the beginning seed planting all the way to the harvest and then the preserving the harvest which is discipleship. All of that's part of that. And then the cycle continues again because farmers work the ground and the reason they work the ground is to get the seed to grow and then to harvest it. And then when they get done, they go and do it all over again because otherwise we'd all starve to death if they didn't do that. Through evangelism, the local church calls men and women in its community to join forces in God's church and in his army. The early church was dedicated to its mission and carrying out that work, but they carried it on, forward on. I've got to go through that a little bit. I'm not going to give you a lot of the history today because that's helpful. I want to get um, to, uh, to some other areas here in the last couple of slides. First, 
if publicly it publicly evangelism proclaims the gospel secondly with greater impact the gospel reaches others through personal relationships with members of the community your relationships with people are the opportunity for you to be able to grow and to lead your church forward every church should have a master plan of evangelism you should be participating in developing that master plan your church should be doing that every year developing an overall strategy then your church should be talking about that master plan at every single what board meeting at every single board meeting you should be discussing that plan not just talking about it but saying now right what part of the plan did we do last month how did it go now what's next in front of us as we apply our plan and our strategy because part of your plan is a calendar part of your plan our events. Part of your plan is what you're doing to be able to reach out and giving Bible studies and how all that's happening. That is your major work and that is should be the first thing that you talk about on your board, at least the most important thing you talk about after quickly going over the financial report and the clerk's report and caring for that. The major order of business on your board should be talking about the plan of evangelism that you have for your church. You as elders should be involved in this. You are disciples, so you should be winning souls yourself. You should be giving Bible studies. I didn't say you have to give one a day or one a night or, or something like that, but you might have one that you're working on a regular basis with people. You should be learning how to do that if you haven't learned how to do that and, and ask the pastor to take you out on Bible studies and be part of that. Then as you become more proficient and more excited about it yourself, you will want to take other church members with you. And that way you're becoming a real training school. Because Ellen White says the people that should be teaching people in this school are the people of experience. You should be those experienced people in the school accomplishing that task. That's what God is asking you to do. You should be working to prepare baptismal candidates. It shouldn't be just the pastor. What a wonderful day it would be. We're almost on the verge of that. We can see that when we find a hundred people coming out to the Port Huron Church. The church, Port Huron Church, doesn't have a hundred members. Well, maybe they have a hundred members on the books. I don't think they have a hundred people coming to church. They got a hundred people coming out on their opening night. So did New Haven have a hundred people, almost a hundred people coming out on opening night. And other churches the same way. And as God starts to work that way, pastors can't keep up with all of that. We had to start looking at the possibility of getting Bible workers to come in and try to follow up in some of these places because of the overwhelming response. But frankly, that's ridiculous. Why should I have to find a Bible worker when I got a hundred Bible workers in my church? If, if, if one elder, I mean, if one member, if there are 100 members in the church and one of them took a Bible, every one of them took one Bible study, they'd all have one Bible study. I don't have to hire a Bible worker to do that. Okay, all right, I'm going to preaching and I'm running out of time. So there is work for you to do. There's strategies here. I'm not going to, I'm going to print this out for you and you can take it and read it. And this uh, part of this is in your, in your uh, handbook, and, but not all of it. Um, Let's see. Holding new members. I'm just going to go through this real quickly. The four basic things. Uh, the handbook provides what you need for this and a strategy. By the way, this, the handbook, that's not the one. I don't have it here, but I gave out with the handbook and give a mentor's guide as well. Thank you. Hold that up if you would. Well, I want to get this on the recordings just so that 
it's seen. The handbook not only um, has that, but has the mentor's guide, and the mentor's guide is uh, what you would use if you were mentoring a new member, and it tells you what to do at every stage of the way, what to do this day, that day, and, uh, and, and so on. But you want to befriend them, you want to teach them, you want to be encouraging them in their walk, you want to visit them, and you want to involve them. Those are four basic ingredients, and this makes it easy for you to be able to accomplish that. And finally, you want to train them. That's part of that whole work, and that's what discipleship is all about. Be part of the soul-winning aspect of your church. I've given you in these two days fundamental principles, fundamental details of what it means to be an elder in working in a church. As I said at the beginning yesterday, I want to conclude with this, with two parts. Number one, do not be discouraged if I've overwhelmed you, because I've given you a lot and you said, really? I mean, like I said yesterday, I didn't sign up for this. But the truth is, you did sign up for it when God gave you this opportunity. You just might not have realized all of it, and the truth is, Jesus might not have wanted to give it to you all at once until you were ready for it. But now you're ready for it. But realize that you may not be able to do it all at once. Take a step at a time and develop a strategy with your fellow elders and figure out how you're going to move ahead and take and implement these things a little at a time. Visitation strategy and all the other kinds of things that we've talked about, God will help you as you're dealing with that. Number two, who called you to this work? God called you to this work. Jesus called you to this work. If Jesus called you to this work, is he going to let you fail? He's going to provide you with the resources that you need. He would not call you to something without providing what you need. If you need more than this simple training class that you've had here, you've got resources behind you. You have the pastor behind you, and you have the ministerial department of the Michigan Conference behind you. We'll be happy to provide you with additional training and additional support. And uh, Shelley, would you go and uh, find uh, the list in my office that applies to this elders group? Just bring all three of them if you're not sure which one. I need to have that here, please. And so that is the main thing, is to recognize that Jesus is your strength. Jesus is the one who's going to help you. He gave you the job. He will not let you fail. Okay? All right, let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for being with us today in in this uh, time of interaction and training. Oh, there's so much we want to talk about, and the clock goes so fast. And Lord, I just thank you for everybody here and their participation and their commitment to you to serve you. And Lord, uh, I pray that as they go back and they carry on the task that you've given them to do, that your Holy Spirit will inspire them, encourage them, and empower and enable them, that uh, Jesus will be by their side, your holy angels will direct them in every step of the way, and that you will make them mighty tools as they try to implement and do implement the things that we've talked about here today. And may your work be finished as a result quickly so that we can go home. Thank you for hearing our prayer, and I thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.